0: And welcome to episode three of I Wonder Wednesday, where we're going to look at how close we are to putting a human on Mars. I'm joined today by the astronomical knowledge of Mrs Kane, the galactic intellect of Mr Campbell, and our own little Martian, Mr McComiskey. How are we all doing today?
1: Very well, thanks.
2: Top of the world. I am well too, Mr Forrest, thanks very much. Although I have to confess that I thought more of our elite form one scientists and they've gone and picked a physics topic for us to discuss today. What's that about?
3: Well, Mr. McComsky, for today, you can put your cranes to rest um, and we'll discuss some of the science that truly is out of this world.
2: All right, so I've got coffee, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to say nothing, that's it. I'm in my box, I'm a little Martian with no (laughs) physics knowledge.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we might be uh, leaving this to Mrs. Kane. so... uh... I'll, I'll start with the basic introduction because I feel like uh, I can't really stray any further than that. Uh, so I think it's fair to say that humans have been kind of obsessed and fascinated by the stars and planets for a very long time, millions of years, in fact. And it took until about 50 years ago for uh, Neil Armstrong to take one small step uh, and one giant leap for humankind onto the moon. And since then, we've kind of had our eyes uh, firmly fixed on Mars as our next destination, But things get a little bit a little bit trickier here. Uh, first of all, uh, we're looking at approximately 2,000 times the distance to get to Mars versus the Moon. And we say approximately because the average distance between Earth and the Moon is 140 million miles. However, uh, the closest distance is 35 million and the furthest is 250 million. And just to explain this a little more, um, Mrs. Kane before this, um, you know, had to explain things to me quite simply and gave a really nice analogy. If we're thinking of the distance between the Earth and the Moon, well, that stays relatively constant. If we imagine taking our dog out for a walk and we have it on a two metre lead, whether that dog's to the left of you or right of you, it'll still be about two metres away. Uh, However, the Earth and Mars are moving independently of each other. So instead, we could imagine the analogy of myself and Mr. McComiskey having a little race around a classic athletic racetrack. So we start off at the same distance, but obviously I'm going to move a lot faster than Mr. McComiskey and his dodgy knee. So as I approach him to lap him, I'll only be maybe about a metre or two away from him. I'll be quite close. However, there'll be points where I'm all the way around the other side of the athletic track and perhaps over 100 metres away from it. So this is kind of the same as Earth and Mars. Sometimes they're going to be passing quite closely by each other on their orbits and other times they're going to be really far away from each other. So obviously we want to time any visit to Mars to have that shortest distance possible, to have that um, 35 million miles rather than the 140 or 250 million miles and it's approximate well one of these kind of close encounters was in 2018 so we're approximately waiting another 15 years before we have those distances lined up for the shortest journey and really I've, uh, I've now exhausted all my knowledge on this subject and especially when it comes to the actual mechanism the physics of getting a rocket from here to there, I feel like it's time to hand over to our to our expert, Mrs. Kane. So how might we actually how, how could the physics work of getting us to Mars?
3: So I mean you're you're right in what you say. Um the travel from Earth to the moon is minimalistic compared to the travel from Earth to Mars. Not only have you got the fact that it's <clears throat> phenomenal distances um you've also got the problem that we really can't expect to take all of that fuel with us so we'll need to look at alternative ways in which we can generate power and um, not only whilst we're on mars but in order to get there and more importantly to return from mars um in terms of duration i mean you could go from earth to the moon in about a week and get back home um but to go from Earth to Mars and then return back to Earth. You're really looking on a mission being on the scale of two to three years well wow. and, and pa- Part of that is not only the the length that the the, the, journey, the the distance that the journey is and the length of time that that distance takes to travel but it's also leaving at the right time um, so as you said the orbits of the earth and the moon can vary massively so the last thing we would want to be doing is leaving at the wrong time. So we want to leave at a time in which we know that we would have traveled a set distance and um, that would allow us to reach Mars when it was in one of our nearest proximities to Earth, rather than one of its further away proximities. Um, then once we arrive on Mars, we obviously want to carry out um, as much research as we physically can, according to the resources that we've got, and then return home. Um, that we can't suddenly do all of our tests that we want and then go, OK, right, guys, it's time to go home. Because when we're ready to leave Mars, time, the time might not be right in terms of the transits of the planets. So at that given point in time, Mars and Earth might be phenomenally far away from each other in comparison to what they could be. So we might even have to wait a length of six months before we can decide to return home once we're ready to return home. So all of that's got to factor in. Um, I mean, so far we know we can get to Mars, that's not an issue. We've sent lots of um, rovers over to Mars, um, but the key thing is, is none of them have returned yet. So that's one of the biggest challenges that we've got is how are we going to get our astronauts, our equipment um, and our discoveries back home? Um, to give you a little bit of an idea, And once we're on Mars, we do still have quite a lot of gravity, um, roughly about half of what we've got on Earth, um, but about four times as much as what we've got on the Moon. So taking back off of Mars will be an issue because we still have to consider that we'll have gravity pulling us back down to the surface. And to make that even more realistic, it's estimated that for every one kilogram of mass that we try to launch from Mars, it will require about seven kilograms of propellant. So if you think about a typical astronaut weighing about 100 kilograms, and that's not including their spacesuit, it's not including their um, rocket that they're in, it's not including any resources that they still have on board that they require for the long journey home. And um, that's an awful lot of fuel.
0: So a lot of challenges in the way there. So one of the interesting things you touched on there is even if we just wanted to have the the briefest visit possible, there might be the necessity to have to kind of live and survive on Mars for a period of time. But we've also got to think about surviving the journey there as well and what that might do to the body. I don't know if anybody wants to pick up here into what that what that journey might be like for the humans, the astronauts on board.
2: Okay, um, thanks, Mr. Florence. Um, First things first, before we start, I believe there was a challenge issued in your opening statements there, and I would like to say challenge accepted. I will beat you in that 100-meter race, even if I have to hop, judging by the amount of time you spend in a gymnasium, it will be a no contest. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: All the gyms are shut right now, Mr. McCormiskey. It's not safe to go to them.
2: You didn't go to the gym when it was open. all right? I
0: went twice.
2: <laughs> and, and we can tell. All right. I will
0: race you. When we get back to school, we will have that race.
2: You realise there's going to be a million kids watching it and one of us will fall.
0: Only 20 of them listen to this. They, they won't know what's happening.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, From what I can pull together, there's two major things that we need to think about. And um, when we're considering a journey, that's, that's like the one to Mars, and, and those two things are radiation, and gravity, or the, the lack of it, because although there is a little bit of gravity on Mars, there's still a problem there. So I'll start with radiation. And although it's dangerous, and exposure to it's unavoidable, the cosmic and solar radiation on this type of journey, would remain within safe limits as far as we know, Um, For the most part, that is. Um, But that being said, prolonged exposure to these things, these factors is is known to increase the rate of cancers, dementia, and also to cause vision loss and things like that. And so before we consider the potential potential for for all of those things happening, we also have to think about things like solar flares. Because if a solar flare goes off, that would irreversibly damage our cells. and, And we have to negotiate past these radiation problems before we can can think about making this journey and mrs ken will probably be able to tell us a bit more about that but what i do know is that sunscreen won't cut it um especially for a for a guy as translucent as i am i mean you guys have seen me after a duke of edinburgh trip and yeah it's it's not pretty sight so the astronauts would need shielding of some sort both in terms of clothing and in terms of the hulls of the spacecraft i would guess Um, The second thing, before maybe Mrs. Keane jumps in, is is to consider gravity. Um, And and that's a more biological thing that that probably I could talk a little bit more widely about. Because the the lack of gravity, both on the journey to Mars and on Mars, is a huge issue. We rely on our muscles to help us move, etc. Obviously, we know that. But they also prevent us from collapsing into a fetal ball on the floor here on Earth. Um, It keeps us upright. And gravity, because it's constantly acting upon us, it shaped our muscles, it shaped our bone development. And by losing gravity for months or even years, as it might take to get to Mars, an astronaut's going to need to compensate for this. To put it in perspective, it's estimated that up to a third of our muscle mass would be lost from our quads after just nine days without gravity. And so unless we do something about that, we're, we're going to have problems and and that's that's going to mean we need a gym of some sort and um, not just for leisure as we make the journey to Mars, mr florence
1: my, my muscle mass was lost in nine days of lockdown never mind <laughs> i used to travel my diet of cherry baked and coffee but anyway that's a side note
3: you're you're right in what you, you say mr mcomsky um Take into consideration when we we see astronauts coming back from the International Space Station. Now, the the general length of time these astronauts spend on the International Space Station is about six months. So that's about six months in a, a microgravity situation. Um, previously, I said that a round trip to the Moon there and uh, sorry to Mars there and back would be about two to three years. And um, part of that is about nine months at the best to get you to Mars in the first place. So you're going to spend nine months in microgravity, then you're going to land on Mars, which is going to be a whole lot different for you because if you had been on the International Space Station for six months and then you land back on Earth, you'll have hordes of fellow astronauts and colleagues who will come out into the middle of the desert and physically carry you off like a small child. And that's because when you originally left Earth, you, you left with somewhat sort of an athletic ability and physique of Mr McComsky. And, <laughs> and then you returned back to Earth with somewhat more of a physique of Mr Florence. Oh,
0: yeah. oh, and, oh I'm not liking this at all. Yes! I'm editing this out. This is getting edited out.
1: Mr McComsky <laughs> is the only guy to have injured himself in charity football while playing in goals. And that was his life <laughs> in <his life>. <laughs> the last
2: Thank you. Mm.
3: So well, what you need to factor in as well is that you're, you're going to arrive on Mars with um, no additional assistance besides that of your crew who are all in the same situation of you as you currently are. So that's one of the massive challenges that we're facing now is that when we get to Mars, are we going to be physically useless? And how long is it going to take until our bodies can come back to being there even just part of their their physical ability that they had when they left Earth. And we are, we are looking into this. Um, NASA currently spend a lot of time with the astronauts that have returned from the International Space Station um, to research to see what their bodies are capable of immediately after returning from six months of travel, Um, but also to investigate how they can improve um, their physical ability rapidly using, as you're saying, a, a, a gym. So if we had a gym on Mars and um, but also then trying to factor that back into, OK, they're, they're now back on Earth and um, Mars has got about half of the gravity Earth has. So if it's going to take X amount of time for them to recover on Earth back to their original physical ability, what sort of length of time is that going to be on Mars? So how long is it going to be until these astronauts are able to carry out the work that we've sent them there for in the first place? Yeah.
2: And I think as well, the, the gym's going to play a massive role in the psychology of all of this, isn't it? Because um, going going in, out to Mars uh, is going to be boring. You're literally staring into space for, for a long period of time, months on end. And it'll lead to mental health problems such as depression or attention deficit disorders. And of course, astronauts are going to go through lots of psychological tests to determine that they're able to handle the boredom of of a space journey such as that, any challenges that they may face whilst they're out there. And they can prepare for that somewhat on Earth. I read in an article that Mr. Florence sent me that people on Hawaii on the side of a volcano for eight months in isolation and then measured the psychological effect on them just to kind of build up a picture of what it might look like for these people when they, they eventually do go to Mars or if they do go to Mars and and they've decided that ultimately the main objective will be to keep people busy keep them doing things from when they wake up in the morning till when they go to their bed at night and obviously the gym's going to play a big part in that it's going to need to but things like game room uh, games rooms or cinemas or or you know having places to, to meet other people is going to be important and I, I kind of envis- envisage it being like Uh, going offshore and living or working on an oil rig but for just a much longer period of time that's how I've got um, this in my mind's eye and of course that's possible but how easy is it on on a a space um, traveling kind of level I don't know.
0: Um, So let's imagine we've got there Uh, we've got a way of getting back Um, we're somehow not physically useless when we land there Um, and we're not too depressed to to get out and have a little look around Mars. Um, what kind of an atmosphere are we looking at there? What kind of an environment are we looking at potentially having to survive in for maybe even up to six months before flying back?
1: Well if you're talking about the atmosphere and just surviving there or or living there as as the the numpty Eton Musk is or might might try at some point he wants to be buried on Mars um, but the, the atmosphere is, is quite different. To get into, compare that to Earth, in our atmosphere, we've got about 21% oxygen and less than 1% carbon dioxide. Whereas on Mars, we've only got about 0.13% oxygen and about 95.3% carbon dioxide. So that's hugely different. So we would have to, to take all the oxygen there with us. And living there would be completely different as as well. And we couldn't keep that oxygen or take that volume of oxygen. But that means that the temperature is different with the gas composition, the atmosphere being different. And there's a very thin atmosphere. And Mars is cold, but it's red. How is that possible? It must be warm. In biology, we color warm things in red, but Mars is
3: <laughs> cold.
1: <laughs> and, and why is that? Well, that's if you remember back to your topic when we looked at global warming if there's a thin atmosphere that means it can get very hot during the day but it it also gets very cold at night there's a huge swing in the average daily temperature so we would have to withstand that for starts now that with the big swing when it gets warm the dust that's on mars that, that red dust can come more and more into the air and that red dust is extremely toxic it's one of the most Toxic things that we're, that we know of a compound called perchlorate, and that's that affects all sorts of things. mainly hormones in humans. The hormone called a gland called the thyroid, which is a little butterfly-shaped gland uh, in your in front of your neck, and that can lead to all sorts of negative effects, including tumours in that gland and reproduction effects, if we're taking it a step further of, of reproducing while we're there, but let, let's assume that we're not. Yeah. And, uh, and the next part is, is about food. And uh, are we taking all our own food or are we trying to, are we trying to grow that? Um, because of, of course the, that dust is, is in all of the soil and it's in all of the water. So we have to take that, that, uh, all the water with us as well. And the water on Mars is either uh, frozen, or it's evaporated. And that's to do, again, with the pressure being so low. There are a few problems in terms of the of surviving on there when we get there, depending how, however long we're planning on staying or however long we need to stay. And from what Mrs Kane said earlier about times when we're, we physically can leave, um,
3: if it's possible. Yeah, so um, you, you're, you're right in a lot that you're saying there. Um, we've really got choices, we either if take everything we need with us, and um, make it whilst we're there, or discover it there before we go. And uh, I mean, there's issues in with with all of these factors. So taking it with us, and um, if the more we take with us, the heavier our um, spacecrafts going to be, the bigger it has to be. Therefore, our issue when we're trying to take back off from Mars, we were saying that for every one kilogram of mass, we need seven kilograms of propellant, on average. So that's going to create some issues. Um, The other option is to make it whilst we're there. Um, But as we know, a lot of time, if we were were trying to, through some sort of chemical process, make the air that is currently there on Mars um, possible for us to to use for for our survival, um, we'd need some form of equipment to do that. And again, that equipment is going to be heavy. It's going to be expensive. We're going to have to take it with us. Um, Or there's the option of discover it whilst we're there. A lot, a lot of what we're doing now is, is basing upon that, let's try and discover as much as we can on Mars before we get there. Um, so you'll be aware of uh, some previous rovers that have been sent to Mars. So we're, uh, we're, we're sending one just at the end of July called Perseverance. Um, and its job is basically to study um, the habitability of Mars and um, to seek any signs of past microbiological life that might be on Mars. Um, and it will collect and catch samples that hopefully we could then send another rover that we plan to return to Earth that we can test these samples. And basically just prepare us for future human missions to Mars. Um, there, I mean, there's other things that you've said as well that, that resonate perfect. So you spoke about the extreme temperatures on Mars. and um, You're exactly right in, in that, on average, the highest temperatures achieved on Mars are about 63 degrees Celsius and the low temperatures are about minus 89 degrees Celsius. So they have a much more extreme in terms of temperatures than what we have on Earth. Um, And just to touch on your, the planet's red, so why is it not warm? Um, In astrophysics, the hottest stars burn blue. So there is times that blue things are are hot instead of red things. Um,
2: Trust I know.
0: This too... to ruin stuff, eh? Yeah. <laughs> See, this is this is why we need to stick to the biology, really, isn't it? You know. We
3: we need to we need to take some of the positives from this as well, though. <laughs> um, so some positives about Mars is that it also experiences a typical day and night cycle like Earth does. Um, a day on Mars is a very similar length to a day on Earth, and um, so as. As the Form 1s will know from some of their previous science, a day is the, the time taken for the planet to rotate around its own axis. And um, so 24 hours for Earth and it's 23 point something hours for Mars. So not not a huge difference. Um, the length of a year is, however, considerably different to Mars and Earth. And um, so the length of a year is the time that it takes the planet to orbit around the sun. Um, And on Mars, it's about twice as long as it is on Earth. So about 365 days on Earth and about twice that for Mars. Um, It's Earth-like and some other similarities of its climate. So on Mars, we also experience seasons. Um, But the seasons on Mars tend to last much longer than the seasons on Earth. Um, And keeping with the idea of of climate, um, we all know how not great we are at estimating the weather. Um, On Earth, you know, the forecast can tell us it's going to be beautiful sunshine and open the curtains in the morning and it's pouring of rain. So we really have to try and predict the weather that's going to be on Mars. um, For the sense of they experience, much more violent storms than we ever experience. And these storms last for much longer periods of time. And storms in their own right then relate back to, as Mr. Campbell was saying, about all of that dust that's on Mars. Um, when these storms hit it kicks up all of the dust and that dust can do one really major thing to us and block the sunlight from as whilst we're on Mars and this this is one of the, the main reasons why we lost um, communication with the Opportunity rover um, back in the early 2000s so that was a, a rover that was originally sent to Mars um, to do something similar to what the Perseverance is to do to have a look at Um, Is it possible? Was there previous life on Mars? Um, Could we maintain life on Mars and get to know a bit more about the planet? Um, But its primary fuel source was solar power. Um, And the minute the storms came in and it kicked up the dust, it blocked the sun from the solar panels. And so the rover itself went into some form of hibernation. And when it tries to shut down all of its systems, and that includes its communication systems with Earth, so that it can keep and preserve what charge it has to keep the vital parts of it ticking over until the storm passed. Um, But once the storm itself passed, all of that dusk was was lying on top of the solar panels, Um, and it didn't have any friends with it, any human life there, to come out and clean up its solar panels. So um, we we basically lost communication with the Opportunity Rover all because of a little bit of bad weather.
0: So... (laughs) Even more obstacles in the way. Um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to be in Mars in one of those storms. So uh, just to to round us up then, I guess, after that comprehensive view, um, I guess, how close are we to putting humans on Mars? Let's kind of flip that question a little bit And to do you think we'll see a human on Mars in our lifetimes? Mrs. Kane, would you like to start us off?
3: I, I'd like to hope that is possible in my lifetime. Um, I mean, that's another factor. How long am I going to live? <laughs> um, the the aim the aim of NASA and many um, now commercial companies is by the 2030s is to have humans on Mars. Um, I would say late 2030s, um, considering um, that we don't plan to be back to the moon till 2024. Um, and that mission to the moon is going to, inform us massively on things that we need to know about um, Mars, so that how we get there, how we survive, how we get home. And basically, if we can achieve it again with the moon, um, we're going to have to look at taking the technology that we already have and that we've already used and looking at supersizing it and extending it in some way to withstand that that huge journey. Um, to be honest, though, the odds are not, not really on our side. Um, currently, we have had 43 missions to Mars every one of them had been unmanned missions and um, so far we've had 18 successes and 25 failures and um, so I don't know about you but I don't fancy getting on a flight with those odds.
0: I'm not getting on them too. Mr McComiskey what do you think a yes or no in our lifetime?
2: Uh, I don't know. I've, I've come around to this idea of talking about physics though, because the sooner we can sort this out, the sooner we can get you on a flight and we get a bit of peace for a couple of years, then yeah, it's all good. Um,
0: Feel free to send me to Hawaii instead.
2: No, no. The Mars is a couple of years to get there, a couple of years back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but do you know, I, I hope it's. I hope it does happen, so long as it's not a vanity project, so long as it's not Elon Musk trying to get there because he thinks it's cool. Um, But I don't know. I think my gut feeling is that it probably won't happen in our lifetime, but I hope it does.
1: My gut feeling, and just to put devil's advocate on that, is that uh, that it will win. And my entire basis for that is I've watched Martian on Netflix so it's possible
0: you heard it here first Yeah, so on, on that uh, magnificent note, um, that will end us for this week, uh, as usual keep an eye out for the forum coming out and submit your questions for um, what might be our last I Wonder Wednesday of the term, thank you very much for listening